Hi, I'm James Wedmore, host of the Mind Your Business podcast, and I've built an eight-figure year company selling digital products around my knowledge and expertise. In fact, this is what I've been doing in multiple niches for the past 15 years. And if you've ever wanted to do the same, or maybe you're trying, but you can't seem to get any traction, here's how I can help. As you can guess, you need an audience if you want to sell your stuff, right? But what if I told you that you don't need a big audience. You don't need millions of followers to get started. In fact, we see that it's with just your first 100 leads where you really start getting some momentum. I mean, think about it. Imagine that you're on the stage of a room filled with just 100 people in that audience right now. That's a lot of people. You don't think that a few of them would walk up to you after your talk and ask, hey, how can I keep working with you? Of course they would. And that's why I created your first 100 leads. It's a 14-video step-by-step training mini course that walks you through exactly how to get your first 100 leads fast. And the feedback and results from this free program have been amazing. Diane Shepard said, this is one of the best trainings I've ever taken. Jake Curry said, We have had 753 people sign up for this free training. Are you kidding me? Dan Netting said, I'm currently going through the first 100 leads training, and James, I gotta say, it's brilliant. This training is A to Z complete, and the best part is it's absolutely free. To register, simply click the link in the show notes of this episode. Thanks so much, and I'll see you there. Do you have clients with physical locations like offices with lots of furniture and desks and cubicles, or a manufacturing plant with lots of equipment, or a storefront with shelving and other equipment, or a cafe with lots of small equipment and furniture. Well, most states call this tangible business property or tangible personal property, even though it's for business. And guess what? It's taxable. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about adding this to your year-end process to at least check to see if your clients need to file anything. Hey, and welcome to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. I'm Serena Shoup. I am a CPA and mom of three, and I'm running a virtual bookkeeping business mostly from my home. You're in the right place if you're a bookkeeper, accountant, or an accounting student, and you know that your purpose is bigger than sitting in a cubicle. If you're ready to learn some actionable tips and strategies to help you start and grow a bookkeeping or accounting business, I hope you stick around. I always say that bookkeepers are the first line of defense on all things tax, whether we want to be or not. It is usually up to us, if we want to be experts, to know all of the things businesses need to be aware of, even if we don't handle it for them, so that we can at least tell them, hey, bring this up to your CPA. Or, hey, you should find someone to file this for you. But there are some things that a business owner might expect us to handle, so we may as well learn it and add it to one of our higher-level packages. Sales tax and tangible business property fall under this, in my opinion. So when I was in corporate, I was responsible as a staff accountant to file this tangible business slash personal property form each year in every role that I was in. And so when I was on the phone with someone recently, I was like, hey, I just got off a client call. And she's like, what are you going to do the rest of the day? I was like, well, I'm researching like when we need to file this tangible business property form for this business because they just opened a store. And she was like, what is that? And so I explained it to her like, if you have equipment in your business, 
most online businesses don't because all we have is like a desk and a computer. But if you have a physical location, you are then on the radar of your state or county of having opened a physical location. And so they will be knocking out your door or sending you a letter saying you're responsible for filing this form. But a lot of times it might not happen right away. So if you already know that this is a thing, you should be doing this or at least staying on top of the deadlines for your client. So any kind of equipment that you use in your business that's like small equipment that's not attached to the building. However, some of these, as I'm going to get into the details, some states or counties are going to require you list out your leasehold improvements and other like construction in progress. So honestly, if your client is leasing a physical building or as the owner of a building, you're going to want to pay attention to your specific state or county regulations on this. So I was responsible for filing this. And really, all you need to have is an accurate listing of all of the fixed assets for the company. You should be able to do this work with just that, which includes the type of equipment, the purchase price, and the date that it was purchased, and possibly the date that it was put into service. So it's good to have all of that information regarding fixed assets. Anyways, so who is responsible for filing this? As I talk about this, I'm actually going to be referencing the North Carolina Department of Revenue instructions for this form. But each state is going to have slightly different instructions. However, they're all pretty similar. You just want to pay attention, just like with anything, just like with 1099s, just like with sales tax. Don't rely on sourcing your information from a blog or a podcast like this or a Facebook group, especially. Like, don't go into a Facebook group and be like, hey, does anybody know if I need to do this for Georgia or blah, 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 and how to do it? No, you need to take it upon yourself. Go to the Department of Revenue website for your clients. Wherever you have clients, you need to brush up on what is required of them in that state. So obviously, the more states and clients you serve, the more you're going to have to research and know, or at least know how to research and be willing to do it. But you need to go straight to the source. You need to pull up the form that you're supposed to be filing, and you need to read through the instructions. I'm giving you some tough love, but do not rely on even this podcast or someone else in a Facebook group to give you the information. You should know how to research this. So as I go through this, I'm using North Carolina as an example so that you can be aware of likely what other states are also going to require. So on the instructions of the form, which usually each state's going to send out an updated form every year because there's going to be a new row for each year. And you also have to report prior year's stuff. And it all needs to reconcile. So you can't go back and change anything from the prior year. And if there is a change, you're going to have to explain it. So be very good at your record keeping, please. So in the North Carolina instructions, it's usually attached to the form. And it will usually say right at the top when it's due. For North Carolina specifically, this form is due by January 31st. And it's not, I'll get into this, but it doesn't go to the state. It usually goes to the county. So who is responsible for filing? Well, North Carolina says any individual or business owning or possessing personal property used or connected with a business or other income producing purpose as of January 1st. So even though we're working this into our year-end process, this is actually January 1st of 2023 as I'm recording this. That is when you need to take a snapshot of what their tangible property is 
on January 1st. Temporary absence of personal property from the place at which it is normally taxable shall not affect this rule. So it gives an example, because that was like super jargony. Lawn tractor used for personal use to mow the lawn at your home is not going to be listed. However, a lawn tractor used as part of a landscaping business in this county must be listed if the lawn tractor is normally in this county, even if it happens to be in another state or county on January 1st. So there's always going to be some exceptions, some rules and all the things. This is why it's very important to actually read the instructions yourself. Okay, the next thing it talks about is the penalty for not filing, and it also bolds and highlights the due date again. It says they must be filed with the county tax department. Do not file this with the North Carolina Department of Revenue, and it will not be accepted by the Department of Revenue. It directs you to a list of the tax addresses that can be found in the revenue website for which county you have to file it. So wherever the business is physically located, and you are only doing it by location. So say, for example, you are a bookkeeper for a locally owned like franchise or whatever, right? Where your client has multiple locations of a, let's just say a restaurant. Maybe they have a location in, I don't even know all the counties in North Carolina, but they have a location in Raleigh and they have a location in Black Mountain and maybe they have a location in, I don't know where else in North Carolina. Right. So each of those locations are in a different county. So you're probably going to be filing a separate form for each location and sending it to each different county. Where you file it, the county's tax department, like like we said, the penalty in North Carolina is a class two misdemeanor, meaning if you willfully neglect to file this, it is punishable by 60 days imprisonment as a class two misdemeanor. And that's the client's responsibility. It's not yours. but We are expected to know these things. Like I said, we are the first line of defense. So we are expected to know these things and bring them to our client's attention just in case they actually don't get a letter from the state. So just keep that in mind. And like I said, when it's due can vary depending on the county and the state specifically. Some of our clients in other states like Florida, theirs isn't due until April 15th, but this one in North Carolina is due January 31st. So now we're getting into how to do this. In the instructions, it lists three important rules. It says, number one, read these instructions for each schedule or group because there's different groups and different schedules on the form of different types of property. And it says to contact your county tax office if you need additional clarification. Number two, if a schedule or a group does not apply to you, indicate so on the listing form. Do not leave a section blank and do not write same as last year. You have to actually write the numbers for each year. A listing form may be rejected for these reasons and could result in late listing penalties or late filing penalties. Number three, listings slash filings must be filed based on the tax district where the property is physically located. Like we already talked about this. If you have received multiple listing forms, each form must be completed separately. So In general, the state or county will actually send you these forms by paper to your business address, but sometimes people change addresses and things like that. So your client may not even have gotten it in the mail or may not realize it. This is also another reason why it's very important to add to your year-end list to check their Secretary of State filing to make sure everything is current and accurate and also to make sure it's been renewed because that's usually an annual renewal, sometimes at the beginning of the year, sometimes in like May. Depends on the state. 
Now, as we get back into filing a business property filing, you do want to just read all of the instructions thoroughly. Once you get through like the initial instructions, there's always going to be a set of instructions for each section. So on the forms, there's usually a separate section for each type of asset class. So for example, you will have a group of machinery and equipment section. You will have office furniture and fixtures. You will have computer equipment. Sometimes in most states, uh, leased property. And then they'll have like a supplies or expensed items section. And that's really more applicable for like a restaurant business or a larger business that has some supplies on hand that may or may not be inventoried. There might also be a vehicle section, farm equipment, maybe intangible property. And then there's always going to be a section on disposals and acquisitions. So acquisitions would be any new assets that they've acquired. So any new equipment you've acquired. And this is where it, it makes a lot of sense to keep really good records of your fixed assets. So every month when you're doing your month end close, you're looking at the balance sheet to see if the fixed asset section has increased or decreased. Usually people don't record their dispositions or the, the disposals as they should, but you want to be looking at that fixed asset list. And every year you want to be putting that asset list in front of your client saying, I need all of the backup for these purchases. And I also need to know if you've disposed of anything on this list so we can write it off. And those that information that you get from them is going to be compiled into a list and put on this personal property or business property listing for their state and county. So fixed assets is a question I get a lot about like doing a training on and whatnot. If you need more help on fixed assets or things along these lines, I highly recommend kind of self-educating, to be honest, maybe taking an accounting one-on-one -on -one class if you've never dealt with fixed assets. There's a lot here to understand with depreciation and, and all that, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like I said, look at your balance sheet every month. See if the balance and fixed assets have changed. Establish a threshold with your clients on what is expensed versus put on the balance sheet and capitalized and follow that rule and keep notes of it in your client file so that you have a document to lean back on of like, okay, anything under $2,000 we're going to expense anything over $2,000, we're going to put in fixed assets. And you just need to keep a detailed Excel sheet of when it was purchased, what the amount is, the description of the asset, and when it was placed into service. So sometimes you end up buying fixed assets and it sits there for a while before it's actually placed into service. So you don't start depreciating those fixed assets until they're placed into service and they're starting to be used. And one thing that comes up a lot, too, is depreciation. If your client's not on a cruel basis, you're not likely booking depreciation. Like if they're just on a cash basis business, we, for instance, our clients don't have a lot of equipment, but the ones that do, we just wait until year end to book depreciation based off the taxes. But like I said, if your client is trying to do gap financials or accrual based financials, you may want to book straight line depreciation every month. And that's going to look different than what's on the tax return. So anywho, I hope this was helpful kind of walking through some other things that you should or could be thinking about as a bookkeeper to add value to your clients. We will talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thank you to everyone who helps make this podcast possible. 
Content and interviews are produced by me, Serena Shoup. Our intro and outro music is written and performed by my brother, Ian Gilliam. Editing is also by Ian using his awesome sound engineering skills along with Descript software. Hosting and publishing is by Buzzsprout. And you can check out the show notes for links to all of these amazing resources and resources mentioned in the episode. Be ambitious.